Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Delicious. Today is Monday, December 11th. If you are on video, you will see that I got out the uh, candy cane mug, which is piled high with foam. Got a little extra foamy today. And now we have a a kitten incursion. Killian is in my office with me. So, so yeah, holidays are in full swing in our household. I spent a lot of the weekend uh, doing holiday things, decorating, got the Christmas tree up, not finished decorating, but I'll get it all done today. Got the outside lights up. So we're nearly there on that part. And uh, I've had kind of, I feel like it's strong to call it an epiphany. It's not like I suddenly understand scrambled eggs. Longtime listeners will get that joke. But I was talking with um, actually my friend Megan, because uh, she went to yoga with me on Saturday morning, which kicked both of our asses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was good though. It was very good, but boy, lots of twistiness. Uh, somebody in the class, because she always asks at the beginning if there's like anything that anyone wants in particular, and someone at the someone at the beginning said that they wanted to warm up their core, and the rest of us are like, no, don't use the core word, don't use the c word with Melissa, because tell you what, when Melissa decides to work your core, it's um, you know. You know it done been worked. <laughs> I know it's good for me. And I feel good afterwards. But some of it was hard. It was hard, you guys. You people. So, um, anyway. My my quasi-epiphany. My I mean, we could probably just go with the basic. I had a realization. Um, I have not yet finished my revision of Onira. But I feel like it's going very well. And I'm on page 241 of 355. I have added almost 6,000 words at this point. And so I've got a little over 100 words to go. Um, if you're doing the math at home, hi, Kev, uh, 114 pages to go. But it's slightly more than that because I keep adding. So, you know, like that upper page limit increases. So I'm going to spend the rest of this week... Um, on the revision. I may finish before Friday. We will see. But, um, you know, and then the following week we travel for Christmas. So I have made the, and longtime listeners will know that this is kind of a big deal for me, the rather uh, dramatic and liberating decision to not pick up the next project yet. I'm making home alone face. Um, my next thing is to start writing Amethyst Run, and I don't really want to start writing it and then stop for Christmas. And I don't really want to be working on it there because I have time. I don't need to. So I, the, the reason that I mentioned my conversation with Megan was she was asking me what I was working on, and I told her that I was really trying to slow down on stuff and not be so pressed. So 
And it's something I really have to keep in mind because you all know that I track my word count very closely. I track, you know, weekly, monthly, annual, and this year will officially be my lowest word count year since I started tracking uh, by a significant amount. Um, let's see, right now it is looking like I have to see past the cat in front of my monitor. Um, I, I don't know. I, uh, maybe 15,000 words this month. I kind of doubt that I will. But last year was my lowest year since I started tracking. And that was at um, almost 357,000 words. And this year, I mean, right now I'm standing a little shy of 330,000 words. So it's still... A lot of words. I mean, I, I acknowledge that it's it's good. My very highest word count year, since we're playing this game, was five hundred and sixty-four thousand eight hundred and forty-seven, almost five sixty-five. And um, and that was hard on me. I kind of burned out. So it's one of those things where I look at these metrics and. Uh, look at the fact that this will be my lowest word count year ever and and being kind of zen about that right because I am I have to remember that I really did make a decision to not push so hard uh, and so now that I have the the big book deal which has kind of stabilized some of the finances um, yeah I just don't need to be pushing all the time. And I know that that's in my nature and I enjoy achieving. I think that's one of my five Clifton strengths. But yeah, it's it's good for me to, to back off on that too. And so once I finish this revision, I'm not going to pick up something else. I am going to catch up on business. I really need to do that. Um, and I would love to have all of my business decks cleared for the new year. So I'm kind of excited about that idea. Uh, I am also going to go to filing my taxes quarterly. So, um, yeah, so that means I had gotten in this pattern of filing in October, but I'm going to go ahead and file in January so that I can have a little bit more granular approach <laughs> to the taxes. A lot of authors end up doing this. It's one way to handle the fact that you um, don't have a predictable income, you know, because like they'll they ask you stuff like, do you think you'll make as much money this year as you made last year? And it's like, I have no effing clue. Uh, I would like to make more, but you don't have that monthly salary. You don't have uh, any predictable numbers. Even the expenses aren't entirely predictable because if you're self-publishing, you know, if you just end up doing one or one book more or one book less, that can really change your investment. So, uh, yeah, I'm officially joining the ranks of those filing taxes quarterly. Talked with my accountant about it. So I'm going to pull my taxes together for the year. Um, and then I'm going to start in on Amethyst Run on December 27th. I went ahead and put it into the spreadsheet and I feel I feel awesome about that I'm kind of excited uh, 
to have a little break. And I might do some things like bake cookies and maybe read some books. <laughs> Hang out. So um, the main thing I wanted to talk to you about today, uh, other than my, my random uh, discussions of, well, I guess that was on topic, wasn't it? I'm really amused by, this is tangential, but I'm amused by some of my friends. And you know who you are, who listen to my podcast, like the one on Friday where I was sharing industry gossip, and then message me directly and say, okay, tell me everything. Who, who was this? <laughs> uh, it makes me smile. So one thing I've been mulling over, and I had a long conversation with the delightful Grace Draven yesterday. I'm enunciating that because transcript always gets the last name wrong. We'll see if this does better. Uh, about this theory that I've been mulling. And the thing about this theory is that I don't know how we would test it. I think it's really difficult to figure out. Um, but let me not put the cart before the horse. Uh, one thing that authors look at all the time is series sell-through. And there's been a discussion on the Faro Discord about series sell-through, which I kind of dipped in and out of, and I've considered weighing in on, but I haven't. Uh, so there's some things that people notice about series. Um, if you want to make a decent living, especially as a self-published author, you really do want the series because that is where you make a more dependable income. And there's a lot of debate right now about whether or not traditional publishing wants series. Um, and I can tell you all that my editor at Tor uh, for Onira, um, and I have a, a two-book deal, right? My lucrative multi-book contract. But she has told me that the second book, that she would prefer it if it's not a direct sequel to the first book, because she said, when you do that, the success of the second book is tied to the success of the first, which I think is true. And she said she would be willing to listen to the pitch if I wanted to uh, do a direct sequel. But I, I don't necessarily. And I have an idea for what else I would do that would be in that world and intertwined in some ways, but without being a direct sequel. In the indie publishing world, People really, really shoot for those direct sequels to the point of having major cliffhangers at the end of a book so that readers will go straight into the next book because that increases their sales. Um, and if you have a series, a longer series, this allows you to put all of your marketing on the first book because you market that first book. And then once people start that book, then you count on that book taking you through to the other books on the series. Now, one metric that is super reliable, unless you're using those cliffhangers, which readers hate, but also respond to well. So it's a funny thing. Uh, and I'm talking like, you know, the, the, the whole point of cliffhanger, and I feel like I've talked about this before, but that a lot of readers don't understand what they mean when they say cliffhanger. 
the term comes from, you know, like the melodramas where someone was literally hanging on a cliff uh, where the story ended. And it's that kind of cliffhanger. It's not, oh, there's some storylines unresolved. It's, you know, like somebody dies that you know can't possibly die, you know, like the hero dies. Uh, I think it's interesting. This is a little bit tangential, but I watched the movie, spoiler alert, which I really loved. It, it, I thought it was great. Made me cry. Originally, the title was, and it's from a book called Spoiler Alert, The Hero Dies. And for the movie, they took out The Hero Dies. And it's, it's about a couple where one of them ends up dying. And I thought it was funny that it's like, for the movie, they actually didn't want to have that part in there. <laughs> so it's just called Spoiler Alert. So at any rate, you know, like a major cliffhanger like that, where, you know, like I could think of one book where they did that, where the you think they're going to triumph and then the hero dies at the end and you know, he can't really be dead. So, you know, it's like you go plunging on. I read one by an author who teaches doing, you know, she's like, do the cliffiest of cliffhangers. And she would like end the book in the middle of a fight scene. And that's the end of the book. You have to go into the next book to even find out how the fight scene ends. If you're not doing cliffhangers, and we could have a long debate about the pros and cons of those. I've been accused of having cliffhangers, but again, I don't think mine actually count as cliffhangers. They are sometimes open-ended. The end of um, Shadow Wizard is the closest I have to having a cliffhanger ending mostly because something happens that you know can't possibly stick because of the romance so otherwise I keep teasing this the very reliable metric is and I've talked about this many times is that from book one to book two you're going to get a 50% drop off um it's just a thing. And I'm sure that traditional publishing is knows this too, which is probably why they, you know, talk in terms of not wanting uh, the success of book two tied to the success of first of book one, because you're just going to get that 50% drop off. You're just going to get about half the readers are going to read that first book and not read the second one. You know, they move on with their lives. They're not particularly captured. It's, it's consistent. It's a very consistent number. Now, if you're doing things correctly, you, your drop off from book two to three or, and from there on is, is negligible. You shouldn't have too much of a change between those because once readers are committed to the series, then they will keep reading the whole thing. <clears throat> so that's one way to look at at series sell-through. That's what, you know, especially indies look at that. <coughs> Traditionally published authors, it's a little bit harder because you don't have the real-time numbers. You can look at it historically, but, you know, for indies, the, the question they've been debating on the Faro channel is, when do you stop writing the series? You know, like, at what point is it no longer productive? And it's, it's actually... You know, there are so many great examples of series that went on longer than they should have. And really the ultimate measure of that is when the author is sick of writing it. 
if the author is sick of writing the series, then you should not keep going. Uh, and there are some wonderful examples of authors who were paid a whole lot of money to keep going when they didn't want to, and it showed in the books. The question I am mulling is, is I have friends who have um, certain books that underperformed, uh, like, a, and, and you're always going to have certain series, certain trilogies or longer series or standalone books that for whatever reason do not perform. Uh, and Grace and I were talking about this. You know, she was talking about how uh, Radiance is her most popular book far and away. And it's the one that people talk about and people, you know, say wonderful things about, but that she personally does not feel like is her strongest book. And what she feels like is her greatest achievement, her strongest book does not sell well. Why? We don't know. But it is a thing. Um, it's very often a creator, uh, well, we'll stick with writer, uh, that the book that they really think is their best, that they love the most, is not their bestseller. And often it's their worst. Don't know why. But my point is that, you know, so if you look at like this trilogy sells really well, and then the connecting trilogy um, tanks. Like I know someone who felt like the next trilogy tanked. And I'm really wondering how much of that can be traced back to earlier books in the series. And we always struggle to measure ROI, return on investment. We always try to figure out like where we've done right and where we've done wrong. Uh, you know, like, why does this thing sell and this thing not? But when I look at reader behavior, and again, I would love someone who knows more about stats or tracking these things than I do to figure it out. But I think sometimes the, the failure, the, the drop down where we lose the readers is actually several books before the one that underperforms. I think that sometimes we misstep, sometimes we fulfill to meet expectations and readers will give us, you know, like maybe one more book, you know, a try, and then they move on with their lives. And that may not manifest until, you know, like two or three books down the line, right? They, you know, they get disappointed, let's say, by book two, and they'll they go ahead and finish the trilogy because they want to find out what happens in the overall arc. But then if book three doesn't wow them, they're like, eh, I'm done. And they don't pick up the next series. I think this happens, and I don't know how we track that, and I don't know what we do about it. But... That's the thing that I've been mulling. So uh, you author types out there who follow these things in your metrics, I would love to know what you think. Uh, I'm sure that we could do it by looking at our long-term numbers and see if there are trends. Uh, you, know, you know, there's so many factors, there's so many variables, so it's really difficult to control for this. But I might 
make that one of my projects for my time off. My time off um, is seeing if I can look at some of my long-term metrics that way. All right. On that note, um, I'm going to get busy revising. I hope that you all have a fabulous week and I will talk to you all on Friday. You all take care. Bye-bye.